And it's verse one. I'm going to take half an hour to go through one verse. Those of you who know me preaching, I can dig in a little bit too deep sometimes, so I apologize. But it's gold, that's why I do it. So verse, uh, chapter 3, 1 John, verse 1, and we're going to look at the first part. Or rather, I'm going to read it all and then we'll look at the first part. So, John the Apostle wrote, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So let's just look at that first part. See what, love, what kind of love the Father has given to us. So I don't know what your ideal picture of a perfect father is. You may have had one or one that was close to perfection growing up, and if so, absolutely brilliant. For some of you, it could have been an average situation, just just a normal dad. For others of you, you may never have either had a dad or dad that was radically different from anything you hear Christians talk about God like. For me growing up, I loved Pa Kent from Superman. When I was growing up, my dad watched a TV series called Smallville, which is a modern day reinterpretation of the Superman story, but when he's in Smallville. So he's in high school, he's got crushes, he's dealing with his new superpowers while studying, while doing his chores, while trying to save Kansas at the same time in America. Uh, And dad introduced me to it and I started watching it on E4, on TV, started to get the box sets, invested 10 years of my life into that show because it was 10 seasons long and I've still got it in our DVD selection now. Kerry says, get rid of it. You're never going to watch it and I know I won't, but I'm not getting rid of it. It's staying because it's part of my childhood. Um, And in that show, if you don't know, Pa Kent or Jonathan Kent as he's known is always painted as an almost perfect father, an ideal father figure. He's responsible, he's financially thrifty, he loves his wife, he's a hard grafter on the farm that's always struggling. He helps his son with his studies, he's got a great reputation in the Smallville community. I think he even runs for governor or something like that at one point. Uh, All this while trying to help his alien son, if you remember the story, deal with his new superpowers while helping him with his crushes, while helping him deal with bullies, etc. He's always portrayed as an ideal father figure. And I watched this show and I had a brilliant dad, still do have a great dad, but when you watch things that tend to be a bit more fictitious, they always project something of the fictitious into it, something that can't quite be obtained. But for me, growing up, I thought, Man, if I could be an iota of Pa Kent to my own daughter and family, that would be brilliant. But, of course, he's a fictional character. You might have your own people that you think about. So it could have been the friend's dad down the road in the neighborhood that you thought that dad is so cool growing up in school. It could be a celebrity dad that you see on the television. It could have been a father figure in a book that you read, uh, like one about a family and there was this ideal father figure in there, or a film, whatever it might be, just think about who you would have loved to have emulated as a father or who you would have liked to have had as a father. 
And in response to that, I say, the greatest, most ideal father figure will never compare to the reality of God as your perfect heavenly father. It falls in comparison. It fails. It doesn't even catch up to what God is or can be for you who don't know him this morning as a perfect heavenly father. So God is your perfect heavenly father. Whatever your dream of the ideal father is, it doesn't compare to the reality of God as your perfect father. So how is God like a father to us? So firstly, God loves like a perfect father. What does the apostle John say? See what kind of love the father has given to us. God loves like a perfect father. So God's fatherly attributes, if you read through his word where he reveals himself, if you read through his word, you'll see his fatherly attributes scattered all around the great biblical narrative. So just some highlights. God's leadership He goes out in front of us and he leads us where he wants us to be. His guidance, not only is he out in front of us, but he also draws along beside us like a brother, bringing us again where he wants us to be for his glory. His protection, a perfect father embraces us in his protective arms. He watches over us. That doesn't mean suffering and pain won't happen but it means God works through it with us like a perfect father would. Provision. If flowers and birds are of great value to God, how much more, not only his creatures, but those of us who can call him dad, how much more valuable are you as a son or daughter compared to a flower or a bird of greater value? Therefore, he provides He gives birds their food, he gives flowers their beauty, he gives you what you need before you even ask him. Discipline, something we may not enjoy growing up as a son and daughter of our earthly parents, but one that actually when you reflect as a mature adult, you know is necessary. God disciplines the ones he loves because he knows that discipline is a tool that can shape and mold us into the people of God, the people he wants us to be, into holiness and righteousness. It keeps us safe. It gives us boundaries. Faithfulness. He's with us forever and ever. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He's reliable and he's trustworthy. Strength. God is both strong and sensitive. He's tough and he's tender. He's tough in the sense that he will guard us, he will protect us, and he's powerful and he's mighty. He's strong in the sense that he will help us battle the battles that we are going to face in this broken world that we live in. But he's also tender with us in that he knows the pain we go through and he comes alongside us and he embraces us. He works it out with us and through us to help us be more like him. So those are just a few of his fatherly attributes. There's many more if you read scripture, you'll see them everywhere. But those are just some of the key things that you might look for in an ideal father or wished you had had and didn't, but God does and always will. You may not have had a father anything like this. Your dad may have been absent. Listen to this. Your dad may have been absent 
distant, abusive, or passive. We're all human, we all have faults and failures, but as we highlight the topic of fatherhood this morning, from what I can tell, it can be a bit of an an endemic in our day and age, the rise of absent, distant, abusive, or passive fathers. Men not taking their responsibility to be the fathers God calls them to be. But, and I want you to listen to this, and we're going to say it together if it appears on the screen. God is not a reflection of your earthly dad. He's the perfection of your earthly dad. If it's up there, let's say it together. One, two, three. God's not the reflection of your earthly dad. He's the perfection of your earthly dad. Don't look at your dad, or rather don't look at God and think, well, my dad was like this, so therefore God must be like this. Your father does not reflect who God truly is. Instead, God is the perfection of what your father perhaps should have been or wasn't or couldn't be because only God can fulfill that role. Hear me when I say this. We can't put undue pressure on our dads. I can't put undue pressure on myself as a dad. There are going to be areas where I'll fail, where I'll mess up for Elowin and others. And God can only do that himself. God can only be the perfect father because he alone is perfect. Your dad, your mum, your parental guardian, whoever that person is, they're not perfect because they're not sinless. God is perfect because God is sinless, therefore we look to him as our perfect father. And we don't get someone else to fulfill that role because then we put a weight on them that they can never fulfill. So we go to God. He's our perfect father in heaven. God's not absent, but present. He's not distant, but near. Hear me now. He's not abusive, but he's caring. God is the same God in the New Testament as he is in the Old Testament. God has purposes. God has reasons. God was still a father in the Old Testament, no matter what was going on that might confuse us, as he is in the New Testament. He's still a loving dad to us. God's not passive, but he's involved in your life. So God loves us. Secondly, the way that God reveals himself as a father is that he's close to us. He's close to us as our Abba father. Again, if you've got a Bible, just one reference in today's sermon. If you go to Romans chapter 8 verse 15, Romans chapter 8 verse 15, it says the following. Again, this is Paul writing to the Roman church. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We've received not a spirit of fear or slavery. We've received the Holy Spirit, who's the spirit of adoption, when we received the Holy Spirit, when we confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior and believed in him, the Spirit came into us. He made us a son or a daughter. So we've now got the privilege to go to God's Abba, Father. Abba, Hebrew words, it's a word that signified respect and honor. We don't want to take it too far and make it a childish thing. It was respectful and it was honorable, but it was intimate. 
and it was comfortable. When Hebrew kids called their daddies Abba, it was a sign that they were comfortable with their father, they were intimate with their father while respecting them and honoring them as their father as well. And we share that same intimacy on the inside. We share that same intimacy to God and not just our earthly dads as well. So, God's close to you. He's not distant. He's near. He's not cold, but he's embracing. He's not ignorant of you and your life, but he knows you. And if you don't know him, he wants to know you. He's not passive, but he's engaged with you daily, wanting to have intimate relationship. He's not irresponsible, but he's reliable. We can trust him and have faith in him. And he is not, and hear this again, he's not shaming. He's not humiliating. He's not that type of dad that will embarrass you in front of everyone. He's the type of dad that is encouraging. Yes, he's disciplined, but he's encouraging. He builds us up. He edifies us. He encourages us. So what is the love that God has lavished on us? So we know God is Father because he loves us. Well, what is this love? What's the practical manifestation of this love that proves it to me? How, does it, how do I get the evidence then? So the second part of the verse, we'll just recap it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, next part, that we should be called children of God. You are the father's children if you know his son. If you know Jesus, your brother, then you know his dad, your father. When we're in relationship with Jesus, we know God as our father. That makes us his children. So how are we God's children? So just two things, again, so much more, but two highlights. We're born again by that spirit. Remember that spirit? Not the one of slavery, the one of adoption. We're born again by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes into us. He gives us new life. Something called regeneration happens. Some of you only of my age and younger will probably get this illustration, but you know in a video game like Halo, you're playing, you're fighting against your friends on the internet or whatever, multiplayer, and someone kills you, you die, what happens? Video game term, you regenerate. You spawn back to life. And that's what it means. It's a theological word, but actually we do use it a little bit. We regenerate. We come back to life again. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into us. We come back to life again. So we're born through the Holy Spirit because of God's grace. God sees us. God knows us. God's predestined us. So he pours out his grace upon us. And when that happens, the Spirit gives us that new birth that I talked about. That means we're able to do something, in other words, repent. Which just means turn around. We're able to go the other way. When we're going in this direction in our sin, in our orphanhood, without knowing God as our Father, God gives us grace, God gives us new life, God gives us the ability to go a different way, a better way, the way of God, the way of righteousness. And when we do that, as we turn round, we are then able to have faith in God as well. 
God gives us grace so we can have faith in him. So we don't walk a little bit and then stumble, but we walk and by faith, God's faith and our faith working together, we keep going. We persevere with him, not without stumbles on the way, not without a little bit of shipwrecking, but ultimately together because his grip on you is tighter than your grip on him. When you're born again by the spirit, you can't die again by that same spirit. And then all of that grace, birth, repentance and faith equals sonship, daughtership, equals an inheritance. We're in the family of God. So, did you know that if you're a believer, having had all that happen to you, you have spiritual DNA in you. You've got God's DNA inside of you. You know that symbol of DNA that you see? I should have put it up as a picture, actually. It's only just dawned on me. But that, that kind of, it's twizzly like that, and you've got the lines going through, going through it, the symbol of everyone's unique and individual DNA. We've all got that in the flesh, But when we're a believer and we become children of God, we get it in the spirit. We get the same, metaphorically speaking, blood of God flowing through our veins when we're his children. We have his mind. We have his heart. We have his blood. We have his life flowing through us. We've got his spiritual DNA, which means that we can take on his characteristics You have something, whether you like it or not, of your mum and dad in you. Thankfully, some of those things can change by God's grace. Uh, Some of those things can change through maturity. (laughs) Tom Blow's laughing. Poor Bill. Um, Some of those things can change, but ultimately there will be something about us that we will never be able to shake, whether it's physical or something else. With God, we're not going to want to change something of his DNA. We're going to want to embrace him entirely. We're going to want to be exactly like him in every which way. We want to express him and be like him fully. We want to be like that child when they're young who looks up to their dad. They're at the school playground and they're like, my dad can beat your dad. Or, ah, I just want to be like my dad. I want to put my work boots on. I want to put my overalls on. And I want to imitate my dad like when he goes to work with his little lunchbox or something. We want to be like that. We don't want to be different to God as our father. We want to be exactly like him. That was really old school analogy. I don't think anyone takes lint boxes to overalls anymore. Right. So, you bear the family resemblance. If you're a believer and God is your father, you bear the family resemblance. And I really hope Kerry was right and I spelled bear correctly because I wasn't sure if it's B-A-R-E and she was like, that's about being naked. Better change that. So I changed it this morning, thankfully. That's a hard one. We had to Google it last night, didn't we? It's a hard one. <sighs> you bear the family resemblance. You may not have God's nose because God is spirit. He's not body. But you've got God's heart. You may not have his eyes, but you've got wisdom and vision to see things like he does. You may not have a pumping heart of God, but you've got the heart of God that loves, that's merciful, that's compassionate, that's kind. So we're born again, and then lastly, we're adopted into God's family. Bit of a comparison here. Before God adopted us, you were forsaken, whether that was by friends, family, loved ones, yourself, whatever it was. But after God adopted us, we're accepted by him, by this church and the church globally. 
You were condemned, but now you're pardoned. You were despised, perhaps even despising yourself, but now you're delighted in, you're rejoiced over. You were disowned, perhaps you genuinely were an orphan growing up. Perhaps you genuinely had an abusive, passive dad growing up. But now you belong to a family. You have meaning, you have purpose. There's a place prepared for you at the table of God in heaven. There's a place prepared for you where you will sit at the banquet supper of the Lamb at the end of all days and he'll usher you in and you won't be an orphan, you won't be a widow, you'll be brought in to be embraced and loved forevermore. And then you're not, you were slaves rather, but now you're heirs. You've got an inheritance waiting for you and we get to enjoy little pieces of it here and now as well, but one day we'll get to jump in it. I just, just remembered. Do you remember that uh, cartoon? Was it? It was, a, it was a duck and he was really rich. What was that? Does anyone remember that? Oh, duck, duck, duck Tales. What was his name? Scrooge McDuck. Not the best example, actually, because he was a Scrooge, but <laughs> a good example. It was a, it was a cartoon called DuckTales and a guy called Scrooge McDuck and he was wealthy. And I always remember because I always thought to myself, I really wish physically it was possible to do this. It's not. I've tried. It's actually painful. Actually, I don't, I, that's a lie. I don't even have enough money to be able to try it. He had like a, a vault of coins and he, every day he used to like jump off a, um, a uh, diving board and he used to dive into his, into his wealth and he used to swim along all the coins so like cartoons were able to do that and stuff. But I just remembered that. That's like us when we get to heaven. One day, it's not going to be money, sorry to say, one day we're going to be diving into our inheritance, into the wealth of God, which is his presence, his power, his love, his mercy, his purpose, his meaning, his passion, his delight, everything for you. One day we're going to dive into that and we're going to be immersed in it. I was going to say 24-7, but there won't be any time. So we're going to be immersed in it in eternity. You're not an abandoned orphan anymore, but you've been adopted into a family where you'll belong forever. I need to be very careful with this because Kerry will kill me. So, as you know, we've got a daughter, Elowen, very cute over there. Um, she was born, obviously, and she got, when she was born, and you know what, I'm going to pull out her birth certificate. You need it to prove she exists. You need it to get other things. You just need it, okay? It's her evidence. It's her proof of life. If we don't have this, apart from her, obviously, the evidence that she exists officially <laughs> would be lacking. But this is the certified copy of an entry. So this is the certificate that Elowen, my daughter, has entered into life with us. It says where she was born, registration district Worcestershire, county of Worcestershire, born at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, date of birth, the 19th of February, 2019, mummy, Kerry, daddy, Jonathan, her name, Elowen Rose Dirk, where I was born, etc., etc. All the proof and all the evidence that she's alive, living, and exists right here, right now. You know what I'm going to say? If you know Jesus, you've got exactly the same, although it's in the spiritual. It's in faith that you own this. You own this. You own your birth certificate. Take ownership of your new birth. Own it. 
be confident in it. God, you may not know, but God knows the time, the minutes, the hour, the week, the month, the year where he bought you, where you became his, where you became his son or his daughter, and it's imprinted upon him never to forget. God will never forget your birthday in the faith, whereas we might forget it in the flesh. So we've all got a birth certificate. We've all got the proof. We've got the evidence of it. So the last part then. Again, John the Apostle, he wrote, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And the last bit, four words, and so we are. And so you are the children of God. I, when I read that, I absolutely loved it because John could have just read, given us all that rich theological, spiritual truth and then moved on to something else. Instead, he just quickly uses a few Greek words just to kind of drive the point home. He doesn't move on. He, he's, he drives it home. He pins it to us. He says, using other words to get the point, he's saying, don't forget this, what I've just said. You are these things. God is your father. You are his children. Don't forget, so you are, so you are, so you are these things. Now that you know God is your father and yourself as his child, live out your identity as a child of a perfect father. The Apostle John doesn't just end his point and move on. He drives the reality home for us. It's not just an idea that we've just read. It's not just a philosophy. It's not a lofty theological um, proposition. And it's not just a warm, cuddly sentiment either. It's not, you know, daddy loves me, I'm his wee little child, we feel all gooey inside. It's a deep spiritual reality. It is a deep truth that transcends everything. And John takes the time to remind us of that by saying, so you are, do not forget this. It is true. So, let me just speak these facts over you to do exactly what John did. God's our perfect father. We know this because he loves us and he's close to us. We're his children. You know that because you're born again and you've been adopted into his family. So, instead of doing what John didn't do and move on, I'm going to do what John does. I'm going to lay the point hard a little bit. Listen to these, okay, because this is true. If you know Jesus, this is true for you individually. God loves you. God is close to you. God has given you new life. And God has adopted you into his family forever. Therefore, and listen to this, you're chosen, you're called, you're accepted, you're forgiven, you're favored, you're blessed, you belong, you have a place, you're wanted, you're a son or a daughter, you have meaning, you're loved. I'm not expecting anyone to remember that list. What I am expecting is whatever hit home for you, grab hold of it. Because that's the spirit saying you need to remember that. 
whether it's you're blessed, you belong, you have meaning, you're accepted, whatever that was, all those things are true of you. So, just to finish then, living it out. We've heard the truth, we've heard the reality that we all want and have the privilege to live in, so how do we practice it? How do we live it out? Firstly, we can have intimacy with God and with others. If God is close to us, excuse me, if God is close to us, we can be close to God. You don't need to put on a performance. You don't need to put on your best prestige. You be who you are. You get before him and you, comp- you be completely open and honest in prayer, in his presence, warts and all. That's what I mentioned last time I spoke. We come to church and we come to God's presence privately, warts and all, because he wants to be near to us. And when we do that, that influences our intimacy with others. When we develop a healthy relationship with God, Richard spoke briefly about this last week, when we develop a healthy relationship with God, it will develop healthy relationships with other people. If we don't get the vertical right, we won't get the horizontal right. Or if we do, it won't be the best it could be if we don't start with the best person, which is God. We look to his perfection first, and then we can strive for excellence in other things as well. So we can have intimacy with God in prayer, in worship. Be yourself. Be you. Don't put on frills and frocks and you know, your best language and whatever it is. Be honest with him from the heart. And then you can do the same with other people. You can enjoy intimacy, being real and not fake with other people. You can be honest with them. We can trust God and others. You can trust God as your caring father who watches over you and knows what's best for you. We can trust God because we know he's brought us into his family and he's never going to let us go. He's the ideal dad. So we, when we go through suffering and pain and trials and tribulations, we know that we can trust him because he knows what he's doing. Because he's sovereign. He's this big word. He's omniscient. He knows everything. So how much more so does he know your life and what you're going through and can empathize with it? And then when we do that, we can empathize with others. We can trust other people. With wisdom, because we're fallen. We're not not fallen if you're broken, if if you're a believer. But we're striving to be more like Jesus. So with wisdom, but we can learn to trust people better and rely and be trustworthy for other people as well. Then lastly, last two, we're accepted by God and we can be accepting of others as a result. You're accepted as God's chosen child and you don't have to perform for him. And listen to this, look for someone else's acceptance. You don't have to look for someone else's acceptance. You don't have to look to someone else to get your value or your appreciation We might enjoy that when it's voluntarily given, but ultimately, if our value, if our acceptance doesn't come from our Father in heaven, then again, we will place an inappropriate weight on people saying, you need to give me that, when they can't because they're only people. It's only God that we can enjoy that from. 
So we can be more accepting of others as well. Not isolated, not individualistic. We can be together and accept people, all their differences, all their faults and failures, and we can journey together. And then the last one, we have a healthy relationship with God, which helps relationships with others, which I've just mentioned really. You're welcomed into a right relationship with God as a father who helps you establish healthy relationship with others, whether that's dad, mum, sibling, co-worker, friends. If we get a healthy biblical view of God as our perfect heavenly father, that will inform and enforce how we relate to other people as well. It starts with God and then it flows into everyone else. Let me just read that verse again. I'm just going to do one practical demonstration because I love visual stuff. It is, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that you, Hope Church, should be called children of God. And so you are. Bill Blow, can you come up? Come on. Right, Bill's going to come up just to end this. And he's going to go right up on the stage. On the stage. On the stage. I'll use the stairs. Okay, good, good. Use the stairs. So Bill's going to come up. Bill's going to get to the middle, if you'd be so kind, sir. Actually, that stern face you've got on now is perfect. A bit more to the middle. <laughs> okay. All right. Can you please cross your arms? Yeah. Okay. Maybe a bit of a power pose as well. Yeah. Right. And look stern. Drop the smile. <laughs> not sexy, stern okay. <laughs> so that's Bill and that is Bill's God okay? Bill is how we view God okay? Bill, if we don't know the truth of God's words and what the spirits taught us if we don't know those things about God we won't know that God isn't what Bill is representing to us now what happens is we see Bill as the angry, the distant, the passive, abusive God that most of the world sees our God as. They'll read the books by Dawkins or they'll listen to the news report that some other crazy religious Christian extremist group has done something and they'll be pouring out their unbiblical unspirit-filled view of who their God is. Angry, passive, abusive, arrogant, a megalomaniac. And what we do is, as we listen to this truth from God's words, not fully understanding it, not fully understanding God as our perfect father, sure, we'll approach God and we'll do it like this. We'll do it slowly. We'll do it hesitantly. We'll do it with fear. We'll do it with trembling. We'll do it with doubts. Maybe I shouldn't actually. Maybe I should. We'll persevere. We'll do it with humiliation. We'll do it with shame. We'll get to a certain point and we're trembling, we're shaking, we're not sure, we're doubtful, we're scared, we're afraid. We dare not go into the Holy of Holies, which is God's true presence where he wants us to be but we'll go as far as we feel we can. We'll get down on our knees, because that's what a good Christian does. They get down on their knees reverently, you know, all that jazz and everything. And, you know, we'll give him what we think this angry, abusive, passive God needs, because at the end of the day, he is a God, so we should give him the respect he deserves. 
and then that's it, if we even get that far. However, what the Bible teaches us is, again, if you look through all of the scripture and see the grand narrative, it's slowly revealing a God who's radically different to that current worldview or that worldview the world's always had. And instead, God is not that, so lose the power pose, Bill. Drop the arms. Nice smile, that's right. (laughs) When we know God is our perfect heavenly father, when we've come through Jesus and we confess him as Lord and Savior and we believe the truth of what the Bible says God truly is, we don't come trembling, we don't come fearful or doubtful, we don't come humiliated or ashamed or embarrassed. Instead, we come because there's no one else to go to and we'll run and we'll push everyone and everything out of the way and we'll go to him right into the Holy of Holies. And more than that, I know we don't do this in our culture, but the Bible speaks about it. We put our heads intimately into him. (laughs) Forget this, me and Bill. (laughs) But we embrace, we're together, we're united, we're one. He's my dad. I'm his son. It's none of this at an arm's length distance. It's intimate, bold, confident relationship in his presence. Thank you. Thank you. That's, it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. After you, after you. Thank you. <laughs> so that being said, we're going to take communion now. So we've got a table at the front. We've got two at the back. And I know I've kept this a bit long.